Welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. Spring is in the air and we have cracking weather here in Ireland. Although it's getting a little bit cold today, the sun has been shining for the last two weeks. We've got a great episode. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Brendan Walsh. Hello, Brendan. Hello, Tomas. Yeah, a bit of a chill in the air, definitely. It is, it is, yeah. And we are going to be joined by Brad because Brad Beach from Walmart. I'll introduce Brad now in a minute. Um, but we're going to talk about how software will kill your budget. Brad has actually written a book on this called Software, the Silent Killer of Your Company's Budget. Brad's our kind of guy, actually. We met. Remember mm. we met him in 2019? Yeah, instant hit. Yeah. Instant hit uh, in Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City. Uh, the, uh, yeah, that it, wasn't such a big hit at the, the joke, time. The no, joke. We won't, no. we won't crack that joke About again. 50% of the audience thought that was funny. <laughs> well, Brad, Brad did a cracking job. Brad is currently working for Walmart. He's the uh, senior director of IT sourcing there. And he's worked with Best Buy, Medtronic. And well, he's really our kind of guy because he loves a bit of sarcasm. Mm. As you know, <laughs> we like a bit of sarcasm on the show, don't we? Yeah, and a salacious rumor too just to throw in there and yeah. backed up backed up by a few allegedly yeah yeah just, well, we have to have a few of those along there'll the be a lot of those today <laughs> oh, dear, oh, well i'm looking forward to that listen before we start listen let's not forget about the situation going on in ukraine okay mm. there's a this is a podcast and we're gonna we're not here to talk about politics but our thoughts are again with the people of ukraine we ourselves are trying to do a little bit with for them. We've made some donations to UNICEF um, and we're, we're trying to help out, figure out where we help out. I see, can we even hire some of these guys that are coming this, up to 200,000 potential uh, refugees got to come into Ireland? So see, can mm-hmm. we give them some jobs? But uh, yeah, listen, stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll update people. And hopefully by the time we speak again, the thing may have calmed down. There's negotiations going on. So... Yep. Speaking of Europe, though, let's we might start there. Actually, it's okay with you before we go jumping into the yeah, our favorite vendors because actually there's been quite a lot. There's been a major change in Europe. So Europe has brought out a new law, the Digital Markets Act. Okay, it's focused mm-hmm. on the big players, big platforms. They're trying to create a kind of a fair, fair marketplace for them. Uh, it'll only affect companies that are to actually turn over seventy five billion. Effectively, what it is, is it's forcing the gatekeepers like Google's and Apple's to actually allow other people to use their platforms. And mm. um, you might have seen stuff around Apple and, and the guys who make Fortnite. If your son, my son's a big Fortnite fan, Epic Games. Mm-hmm. They've been having a fight on this. Fortnite want to be able to allow their, their users to be able to pay them. And of course, Apple are saying you have to do it through yeah. The Apple App Store, Apple, yeah, through yeah, the App Store yeah. actually. So, so actually, it's the first right. time they've done something like this. Mm. Big, big change. It's going to have big implications potentially. Mm-hmm. And the European Union are pretty excited about it. Marguerite Vestager, who pushed it, she says she says she wants to have a simple and fair marketplace mm. in the digital world. So, yeah, and I saw that she also said that which I was a little bit surprised by maybe, but that they're not so concerned with the big cloud guys. It's really the the service providers who are service servicing subscribers maybe to search engines like WhatsApp and Messenger. But yes, yeah, it's, pla- it's the platforms actually. It's what, mm, yeah, that's yeah, a, they're yeah. focused on the platform guys. It's all about who is, they're trying to identify who's been participating in this monopolistic behavior. Mm. So they're targeting those organizations and you can see it where you have a particular phone from a particular vendor, Google, they're forcing you down the road of having, having using their you know, Android operating systems, forcing mm. you to use their their products. Same with Apple, forcing you to use their products. You have to use almost use iMessage or yeah. WhatsApp. Yeah. I mean, there's many other kind of products 
out there that you could use, but people don't use them because they don't even get presented with them. Mm. This, the default is to actually use what's what, yeah, what the yeah. big vendors so, like. Yeah, the Safari browser on Apple. This is, it's the yeah. same sort of stuff we see in our business with, you know, you buy one thing, you're forced to buy the other thing. You know, you buy the, you do your IBM ELA or your big Oracle Enterprise License Agreement or Microsoft, you got to buy all this other stuff. We might talk about that in a little bit. I think we've got an expert. We'll have an expert <laughs> on very shortly to talk about that. Another bit of news, actually, they were yeah. also busy. This is one that might have missed the headlines because the Digital Marketing Act got a lot of headlines about this, okay? So there was, I don't know if you know this, back a couple of years ago, there's been a kind of a, this data transfer, data privacy challenges between the US and Europe. It all came up actually back in about 2013 when a guy called Max Schrems actually took some a challenge against Facebook in the Irish courts here in Ireland. He was an Austrian activist, okay? Mm. It was connected with the kind of Ed, the Edward Snowden kind of spying kind of allegations and, and that, that whole area. Mm-hmm. But it was all about the transfer of, of data between U- Europe and US, okay? Mm. So actually for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of problems in that area. They've maintained the ability to be able to transfer data, but there's been no rules around this at all. So actually, they've come up with a thing called the EU-US Data Pact. All right. Mm. It looks like it's according to Marguerite Vestager again, uh, or sorry, Gersel van der Leyen, I should say, Mm. she said that it will enable predictable and trustworthy data flows, balancing security and the right of privacy and data protection. Now, it's interesting to see, will this do that? Because people like Max Schrems are saying, actually, uh, it's not really fixing things. Nothing's changed. Because the issue was, data that was transferred from European citizens to the US actually could, the US or no companies, control. no control, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're claiming that actually there's still no control. They've mm. just created a, a pact, a pact <laughs> around this. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, where this goes. Now, we talked about Ukraine earlier. Obviously, President Joe Biden has just been in Europe coincidentally this is the week it was all signed mm. so i don't know whether it was a bit of pressure i mean president biden has been fantastic for what's been going on in, in ukraine in terms of at least provide political support so far yeah but you got to get some business done as well while you're here well you? i think so, that's what's happened yeah, here there's yeah. been a little bit of a squeeze on the europeans i suspect to open this up uh, meta facebook mm. did threaten to actually to pull out i know it's crazy i know yeah, yeah. would they really do you want to see do we honestly think they would do well, that well i I mean, I wouldn't care. <laughs> well, I don't even use I don't use them, no. Yeah, but I, I use WhatsApp, actually. I do. That's true. I do use yeah, WhatsApp yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot. Yeah, that, yeah. Would, that could be a problem. But the thing yeah, is, actually, yeah. with, the, with the new... With the, with the other with thing. The, uh, the, with the DMA. DMA with the digital market, use, you can use anybody's uh, uh, messaging service. Yeah, so, yeah, actually, yeah. Maybe there's a better one out there. There may be. There may be. Yeah, or if there's I not, just, there may well, well be. Look at me. I just go for the default. I should just, you know... Well, you see, you're presented with the default. This is the thing. These organizations do this. sneaky. They catch us out. We need new skills we need new skills <laughs> we go better negotiating skills i wonder was there somebody going to talk about that one that's been happening in europe so europe, europe. has been the place to, to be this for a bit for some many good reasons and many many bad reasons for the last couple of yeah, weeks yeah. but um, well most of my stories aren't to do with europe they're to do with the u.s great so, you know the, the mega vendors that are u.s companies um so as is common i kind of look at some of the results that are you know results roundup who's, who's got results well oracle's got a nod end of annual year which is may so their end of q3 was recent recently announced and um, so they're you know they're up a bit four uh, percent yeah. year on year you know okay. big deal four really. percent well the big company aren't they yeah I guess they're a big company but uh, but their income their net income has declined by fifty four percent right so that's you know pretty pretty dramatic so profits being hurt by the 
by the by the drop in share price of of two of their investments, a gene sequencing company called Oxford Nanopore and uh, their ARM server chip maker called Ampere. So they are you know not performing so well, although Oracle kind of remain bullish. Yeah. But but that's kind of you know interesting enough. But what I think is most interesting about this is that like their stock price is down twelve percent year on year, and it's uh, and it's twenty dollars since. December 21. So they're about about 83 bucks. Okay. And they were at 103. Okay. So that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty, that's hefty, a pretty yeah. significant drop in their share price. Yeah. Now, you know, I've, I've listened to some commentaries that says, you know, it's time to buy that, that you know, there's a good investment there. Uh, as you, as you announced when you were, when Rome was on the last podcast, uh, they t- you talked about the acquisition of Cerner uh, for 23 billion in cash. Um, I'd say Cerner are glad to have got the cash and not the shares considering yeah. they dropped by 20 bucks. So maybe they can help. Th- How that, can they that reinvent can help themselves? Like, these companies reinvent. I mean, Oracle, Microsoft aside, the, the, the big enterprise technology companies, they really struggle to reinvent themselves, don't they? Yeah, I, I guess it's hard to be really innovative and creative, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you know, it takes a lot of breaking down to see exactly, you know, really what they're doing. So that's why they make these big acquisitions. You yeah. know, they make big noise by spending big in healthcare and then, you know, and then making some noise there. And how they get, it's hard for them to get on, you know, to be visible as a brand even, isn't it? Well, they're, I mean, they advertise, they spend a huge amount on brand, right? I mean, they spend a lot of money on, you know, stadiums and sponsoring Formula One race cars. Yeah, so, that. I was, that, be- was that the prompt? Yeah, that was the prompt. There was yeah. somebody telling yeah, yeah, the story yeah. about Max Verstappen yeah. and he's the, yeah. Yeah, they've invested in, uh, well, what was Red Bull Formula One is now Oracle Red Bull. So they've invested, uh, or they've promised to invest 300 million in, but the, in the thing is, five years. Which is going to be, this is going to happen. Yeah. Everyone's still going to remember it as Red Bull. Red Bull, yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, it's a bit like when a stadium is is it you know Lansdowne Road. Yeah. But eventually, people start calling it the Aviva. You okay. Know, you know, we, you for, the, for, it, for how much did you say? How much did they spend? Yeah. Three hundred million. What? Yeah. Okay. Now, now it, it you know farther three hundred million. Uh, Red Bull will continue to use <laughs> uh, the Oracle cloud infrastructure. Okay. So, so they actually kind of bought it. Like we always see this when they invest in something. There's always like uh, it's like a client acquisition. Larry you know? just can't help himself. He yeah, just wants to be the sales guy. Did you know, did you hear Larry? Actually, to be fair, we talked about Ukraine earlier. Larry threw in five million into a fundraising for mm. Ukraine. Which is well, pretty, fair enough. Yeah, which yeah. is pretty generous of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To be fair, I mean, I know five million is probably to him is like five dollars to you or me but yeah i think he's worth about 40 billion but yeah. yeah but so but look it's 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 uh at least he is donating you know and 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 while he's donating he's still in talks with tiktok talking about oh well we won't talk about that let's just let's, let's no it's unbelievable yeah, yeah. just keep, keep let's keep, move on let's, let's, back, let's, let's move on but i just want to put something in context though because you know the, the their share price is down but actually, I've looked at some of the other mega vendors. They don't really have announcements, to, you know, right now. But F, like SAP is down twenty bucks since December. Microsoft is down thirty bucks, and Salesforce is down forty bucks. You know, mm-hmm. now increasing inflation. And I saw Microsoft, hikes, Microsoft, for example, put up their pricing. Well, yeah. they, well, they did, yeah. yeah. So you know, so so why do they put? What's that telling us? Like they're putting up the pricing of their their Office three six five and Microsoft mm-hmm. three six five products. Okay, so what's that telling us? Does that mean they're Business is slowing down. Are well, it they... might do, yeah. I mean, that was announced in September 21 before things kind of got really hairy with yeah. interest rate hikes and inflation. And like, the, like, I know there's inflation, but I mean, inflation... Yeah. I mean, this is up to 15% in some cases, yeah, right? Yeah, so up yeah. to 15% and then, you know, an extra $4, $4 per user per month, yeah. which is kind of hefty hefty enough. But but um, 
I mean, the, I mean, the legislators are going after these guys and, mm. you know, particularly their dominance of the overall spend across the market. You know, other industries have to get permission to change mm. prices. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, regulated. Regulated, yeah. yeah. Energy providers. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. So yeah. these guys could just change price. I mean, particularly yeah. with environments where inflation is such a political issue. I, I would see very soon you could have situations where these guys are going to be put under the cash. Yeah, well, it's, it could be seen as being a bit cynical, right? So, like, you know, obviously, during the pandemic, people started shifting quickly to mm. using, you know, cloud platforms, Microsoft Teams, etc. So now they've all jumped because they have to. And then we go, great, yeah. we have them all. Turn up the value. 300 million yeah. extra users. You know, let's jack up the price. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah bit, okay, a bit cynical there. What else we got? What else we got? So, you know, there were some other stories about Microsoft. You know, as to why they might be putting up their prices, and this is related to a story of a former director of emerging markets in the Middle East, Africa. Uh, he's a whistleblower on the platform uh, Lioness, which I think we've seen before, and he's basically oh, yeah. saying there's just you know corporate widespread corruption, particularly in that territory. You know, there's money flowing out of the business investment fund, which is supposed to fund you know training and innovation and partner enablement. Right. And you know he's spotting payments. For example, forty thousand payment to a former, a former employee. So an employee who was who was no longer uh, there, no longer there, not a customer, not an active partner, uh, but m- money moving into an account where he's involved uh, as some kind of you know uh, consultant on a deal. All right. right. But like you know, I've done a lot of tra- travel around the territory, and uh, I'm not sur- I'm not surprised. I mean, there's you know a hundred uh, you know a trillion is lost in bribes globally. Yeah, year, it's, you know? it's a so, real trick. Problems. Yeah, so I, I mean, the brown envelope stuff of the 70s and 80s just hasn't gone away, but, yeah, the, but yeah. the payments are just much bigger mm. and they're kind of and they're very much easier to conceal. So you're not really going down with cash. Yeah. You're transferring money to people on the basis that they're a contractor or they're an advisor. Or, it's very easy to, to, mm. to do that. And it's typically involving, you know, government purchasing and kind of mid level bureaucracy. It's manipulating the market, though. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 uh, I know in some countries it could be part of the, it's considered part of the, the way they do yeah, business. It's, it's like, it's part right. of our culture or something, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah. but it's taking money out of the out of the. the yeah, I'm surprised at Microsoft doing that sort of stuff. To be honest with you, yeah. Yeah, well, it's very hard to find bad news stories, but but that one that, yeah. that one stood out. And our friends, our friends, IBM. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to talk uh, about them. Yeah, well, you talked a little bit about age discrimination last time out. Oh, yeah, and um, Dino- so the dinosaurs, the di- the dinos- the, di- <laughs> the dino babies, the dino babies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so, well, the documents that were previously under under seal have now. Uh, publicly surfaced so you know they're they're freely available to, to to look at so there's kind of many slides and charts um and i haven't seen them myself so i'm kind of you know reading that what they're describing is essentially a shift towards younger workers so yeah. called eps What's that? and that's not an album it's not extended yeah. play it's a Early professionals. So, oh, oh, right. early professionals. Okay. Yeah. So we have a few early professionals, like our podcast editor here yeah. in, in the office. But, but the documents describe hiring goals such as shifting the headcount mix towards a greater percentage of EPs. Are, and I, I believe Arvind Krishna was involved in this, was he? Well, it's, it seems to be right up to the top. Yeah. yeah. Funding an influx of EPs to correct seniority mix. So, you I know, wonder does that mean that they have to all leave as well? Because he's hardly an EP. <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, maybe he thinks he's adding more value than, yeah, than yeah. the other EPs, but the other senior, more senior members. But that's fine by us because we'll just take them on anyways to support IBM software stuff. Yeah. You know? So, you know, in, in other news, then um, 
I mean, there's this ongoing justification, which, which you read in, in the news around, you know, the, the, the purchase of Red Hat, the, the 34. Would you call it ongoing justification? I call it obsession. Obsession. <laughs> well, it was a $34 billion, you know, obsession. God. And so, you know, why they're doing I'd love it. to know how much of that money they've got back. Well, well, Red Hat and because it comes it, back to the profit. Yeah, well, yeah. it was it was a very you know highly profitable. performing profitable company, much better performing than IBM was mm. at the time of the acquisition, as we as we know from previous podcasts. IBM's revenue was declining, you know, quarter on quarter, and you know, under uh, Dean Romerty alone, they dropped you know twenty percent of the revenue, you know, which is something like twenty four billion, mm. you know, fell off. So they bought you know a good company, but it's but it's really just showing that. You know, to under underpin their containerization strategy, they need they need Red Hat, they need OpenShift as they try and move their customers towards their cloud pack, that unwanted software that ends up, and I'm sure Brad can tell us in some of these value settlements that, yeah, they, yeah. that they have. You know, a value settlement means you settle because you might be using more software than you're supposed to. But as a result of the settlement, you get more software that you don't want. Um, and that's called a cloud pack. This is something we were just talking at the beginning. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we'll talk about that. And then kind of ironically then, you know, as as they kind of continue to justify the $34 billion in OpenShift as part of their multi-cloud strategy, Kindrel, which which is a business yeah. they shared about 100 days ago, is not forming new, it's forming new cloud packs, or I should say cloud, cloud packs, not oh, P-A-C-T-S. pack, not pack, <laughs> packs, All right, P-A-C-T-S. Yeah. But not with IBM, um, with Amazon. So it's new, it's trifecta is with, you know, Amazon, VMware and itself. And why wouldn't you? Let's be honest. Well, exactly. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's not, like, really, it's not... You're going to choose the leader. I, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a massive surprise. So what does it tell you? Like, it's really, if, if your closest ally is choosing somebody else, it really makes the job very difficult. Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine being the sales guy for those companies. Not not a good look, yeah, yeah. 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 But l- last but not least then with IBM, so they are moving into a single premise, a new premise in, in New York. Yeah, they're moving away from Armok. No, that's gonna, still going to be their, their, their HQ, but they've got multiple centers of excellence and, and yeah. offices around, uh, around New York. So they're kind of centralizing all that uh, into one brand spanking new building or renovated building on one Madison Avenue pretty historic building and so there's a couple of reasons why they're doing that according to the, the company who's sending them the lease and one is that they're going to have a 34,000 square foot outdoor terrace 34,000 square yeah, foot outdoor yeah. on the on the 10th floor in one in Madison Avenue Manhattan yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Thirty-four thousand square. I would love to go there. It sounds like it'll be lovely, <laughs> but it's absolutely enormous. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, who is paying for that? I have to. That, I mean, I'm. I'm. Well, I am shocked. We may know somebody shocked. Who, well, who listen. I, I think this is a good time to bring in a negotiator, somebody who knows how to save money, who understands the tactics far, far, far better than, than you or I would understand. Uh, he's a 20, over 20 year veteran in the IT outsourcing business. He's worked working now with Walmart as a senior IT director of sourcing. He's been a Best Buy and Medtronic and Med- other companies. As I mentioned earlier, he loves to be sarcastic mm-hmm. like us. So he has a great <laughs> sense of humor. He's in Bentville, Arkansas. Brad Veach, welcome. Welcome to you guys. It's a pleasure to join you. It's great to see you on the screen. It's been two and a half years, I think, since we met in Denver, Colorado, as Brendan said earlier. None of us really have been on the road much. I mean, we, I've started to travel a little bit myself in the last kind of four or five months, but I think you're going to be in Picur- it was Picurcon, wasn't it? You were speaking at? Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to do the uh, keynote again for ProcureCon in Boston in July. All right. Okay. Well, I'm hoping I'll get to see you over there. I get to see you. 
Yeah, but you but you'd be busy during lockdown because I have a book in my hand here called "The Silent Killer of Your Company's Budget Software." How to negotiate and manage your software portfolio without getting taken advantage of by your suppliers? Fairly straightforward title. Yep, I love it. No, I love it. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. No, it's really, really good. I have a lot of questions for you, but I, I, I'd love to start with what what made you decide to write a book? Well, you know, I, I've avoided um, doing the the conferences as far as talks. I said no a lot for a lot of years and doing all that kind of stuff, and I finally just got so sick and tired of how unfair the playing field was uh, and the contracts were and things like that. And I, I knew I had to do something. So, you know, I started doing the conferences and the talks and trying to spread the word. And, you know, we're one team here. I mean, you know, we all work for different companies, but we've got to unify on how to combat this problem we've got with our suppliers in the technology area. You know, COVID hit, so we couldn't do any more talks. We couldn't do any more sharing of information and things like that. So on a bet with my wife, I decided to write a book because she's writing a book as well. And I said, I could write a book in a weekend. Oh. <laughs> and that was a Friday around noon. She canceled all the plans we had that weekend and said, go. I bet you can't. Uh, she won. You took the bait. You took the yeah. bait and you've written, a, you've written a fantastic book. And you're right. I mean, if you listen to any of these shows, we talk regularly about it is really... David versus Goliath. It is. We, we, as, as even though there are so many of us, whether it be at the, you know, on the, on the buyer side, are when you're negotiating with these companies, their power is incredible. And even you even look what's going on politically. Beginning of the show is some of the things happening in Europe, but we've many times talked about many actions that are happening, in particularly in the last twelve to eighteen months in the U.S. And even still, they're continuing to grow. They're becoming more and more powerful. There's yep. starting to be a little bit of weakening of their power, mostly because they're fearful. If they don't kind of move a little bit, they're gonna they, they're gonna find themselves maybe getting stru- much stronger regulated. They're kind of tr- they're kind of trying to control the, the the power of the regulation coming at them, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. But I want to back you up for just a second to your favorite supplier. Please do. I, I, I want to tell you how this unfairness got started and where where it kind of was created back in the 1920s the history of organized sales was created by ford with the science of selling that was the first organized sales methodology now you guys are not going to be a target right the science of selling is the way ford predicted it or said was they wanted to focus on people that had a bigger forehead because those people are smarter and could absorb information better than people with you know a bunch of hair like you two hmm. so you would not be a target of them but almost <laughs> identically at the same time ibm created fud which is fear uncertainty and doubt yeah and they you know told everybody you'll never get fired for buying ibm right then they kept working all these things and whatnot 1955 the first software company the computer usage company cuc was yeah. founded and then who jumped in the software game right after that? IBM. I mean, they're always at the leading edge of causing problems for us. It's amazing. But it's it's just totally unfair. It just spiraled from that point. And the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you've seen it in action, I'm sure. Absolutely. Times. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what's the most outlandish fear or uncertainty or doubt that you've ever had thrown at you. I'm not trying to question at you. Can you think of anything that they threw at you 
that was like, what are you, you, are you serious? Well, I think, I think a lot of the, the changes that they've made to increase revenue through the years is just absolutely obscene, right? I mean, we've taken, uh, back in the day, when you license things on a server, right, you bought so many uh, licenses for your servers. Well, then the servers, because of the more Moore's Law. Moore's um, Law, yeah. Yep. Made machines faster and faster and faster, and they can handle more cores and more chips and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Just because you got more efficiency out of the software you already bought, they wanted to charge you for that. So yeah. they re, re, redid their licensing. You're not gaining anything from them. You still got the same dang licenses, but they're going to charge you more because you gain more efficiency from their licenses. Yeah, yeah. I was explaining this to someone last night, actually, about this month, the monthly license charge, this kind of concept on the mainframe and all that, that all the mainframe vendors use. And, the MIPS, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's about you know keeping keeping the machines running at a certain. So if you if you go to this whatever this peak is, you pay at that peak, even if it's just momentarily. You yep. hit, hit this peak, and everything goes up to this peak. So somebody else then sells you software that kind of flattens the peak, you know. Yep. And it's really all that's, the software is doing nothing new. Nope. Nothing, all that's happening is that there are you're getting you're driving a little bit more ahead of it. And there's this curve, it's going, it's, it is, it's Moore's law in the opposite direction. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And what's, I mean, you know, and I talk about it in the book, what's really unfair when, when they want to charge you for your efficiencies, but they won't share in the efficiencies that they're gaining from using your data, your, you know, portfolio and all of the benefits that they get from having customers using their licenses, right? They're gaining knowledge, they're getting better, they're getting faster, et cetera, et cetera. And if they're doing their job right, if they've got good sourcing people, their cost should be going down eight to twelve percent a year. Well, it's data, yeah. Right. I mean, it's the same reasons the big tech companies now are being targeted that they've got even better at monetizing yep. data. In the yep. old days, the likes of IBM monetized data through their engagement with customers like like your company and many others around the world. You know, where they went in and learned everything and then sold it on to the next guy. And the prices only went, I mean, the, that's amazing. You talk about this in your book, though, that the unit prices of technology have been coming down for years. You talk about Moore's Law there. It's a classic example of that. Yet the overall spend is going through, has gone through the roof. Yep. Through the, you know, I, oh, yes, okay, we accept. We're all using more technology, and the, and the whole lockdown kind of drove that. But what is there? Is there no end in this? Because there are challenges. Like one of the things that we are a sponsor here within Origins around IT sustainability. That we're actually running out of just things on this planet to put into technology. I mean, at the moment, there I don't know if you know this. They're they're mining landfills in parts of the world, in the US and other parts of the world. They're actually going into landfills that were that were that were things were thrown away twenty years ago to look for raw materials. Uh-huh. Because they've run out of things to take out of the ground, so we're eventually we have to we have to some some stage this throwaway culture has to stop. Yeah, agreed, absolutely. You know, I mean, you talk about this in your in your book about the fact that is there is there an explanation to it? Is there is it just greed? Yeah, and, and you know, I guess the co the, the 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 shutdown, the pandemic. I think one of the things that I had hoped would have come from that is the fact they spend 45, 45, 50% of their budget on marketing and travel and sales and blah, blah, blah. You know, they didn't have those expenses. Yeah. $300 million on a naming rights for a stadium, right? 
but they didn't have near the expenses. Now that's just pure profit for those guys. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. And they're vanity projects. They're, they're, they're vanity projects, you know, many yep. You, you talk about in your book about software. This is a quote from you have. I love this one. Software salespeople are like highly trained, well-paid hit men and women, meaning when they infiltrate your organization, your budget will take a hit. I mean, yep. <laughs> and it does. And it does. Yeah. I mean, even so I'm a student of the game. I, I study as much of the sales side as I do the, the sourcing side of things, right? Because I really want to understand what's going on and what they're doing. And it's kind of fun when you're in a negotiation and you see them doing certain tactics. I even call them out on it once in a while. But the Jim Camp wrote a book called Start With No, right? Yeah. In that book, it's a good book. In that book, it's very sales focused. He tells you at least two times, maybe three, avoid the sourcing group. Avoid at all costs dealing with procurement. Stay away from you. Stay away from me. Okay. You know, go to the budget owners, go to the executives, go to the people, get the deal done as much as possible there. Then just have them slide that piece of paper across the table or over the wall and get signatures and POs. They, they're trained to, you know, say no. They're trained to, you know, not give in in any situation. That's the frontline sales guys, right? They don't have any authority over any pricing, over any terms and conditions or anything like that. Their, yeah. their job is the front line is just to say no and get as much as possible for the company. I get that. That's the revenue. That's their stream of revenue. Every company needs revenue. And how do you then figure out how, how did you how do you stop that? And a company of, of the size of the company you worked for and where you work now, they're enormous companies. You of course you're going to have business executives and stakeholders interested in things that are going on out there that might make their life better. Yep. But how do you how do you educate them? And say, listen, it's not a good idea to start to negotiate. You know, yes, look at what you might want to buy, and then let's then sit down together. How do you get the, you know, because that, that to me is the perfect scenario where, yes, let them look at what's out there. Of course, they have to Absolutely. know what's right for their business, for what yep. they're trying to do. But at a certain point in time, then they need to say, right, that's when they stop. That's when they bring in the professionals to look at what they've discussed. Are there any other alternatives that they may have missed? Because they don't have time to look at everything. That's what you, how do you get them to that point? Yeah, it's, it's, it's trust. Um, it's having some wins, right? It's, uh, I send, uh, I've got a little cheat sheet of things you never say to a vendor. I send that frequently to executives and IT people and, and internal business customers. And they, they, Start to get the picture, right? You know, don't tell them your budget, obviously. Don't tell them your timeline. Timeline is just as critical a piece of information as their budget is almost, right? Because they know that they can back you into a corner then. Don't believe you have to sign the deal this month or you'll never see it again. You know, it's all those things. But they're going to do whatever they can do to get and extract as much information as possible before they deal with somebody like me. And they don't ask a question by accident. They're very well trained to ask specific questions to extract information. Yeah. And I, I would imagine you work with see your careers, a lot of it's been in the retail industry. Retail organizations are very good culturally at training their people to trust the procurement process. That's our experience. And I, I, I'm comparing it to other industries. That's our experience that they, because they know the margins are so tight. Yep. 
they across many, many parts, I'm not just talking technology, across the whole business line, they have yep. to be good negotiators. So I'm thinking you mentioned the trust with you and the, your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. The business needs to pro provide trust in its procurement arm, doesn't it? Right, like if the, exactly. If the business sets up a procurement arm, that's really just because we have to have one, for example. Yep. Yep. And really, it's set up to fail, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's having those small wins. It's showing them that price is not the only factor, especially in the technology, right? The, the technology companies will do anything they can to get into your company. The, the initial price, and this is where there's a little bit of conflict in a battle, right? Because the, the project managers of a, like a software project they care about their price. They care about the budget. They've got a restrictive budget. They've got restrictive time frame. Only so much they can do for implementation costs, et cetera. The software company will meet that regardless of what that number is. Oh, yeah. They just want to get in there, get sticky, and then they will start growing that revenue stream by adding, like you guys talked about earlier, adding new products, coming up with new licensing models for the same thing. And it's hard to displace. I mean, the cost now that we're getting away from perpetual licenses where you used to be able to cancel maintenance and then implement something new or as a replacement, you can't do that anymore, Seth, right? Now you're playing for two solutions while you do your implementation, but they know how to get sticky and they know how to then start working those networks. And the more they get in and the more conversations they have, the stickier they will be. And what are your tips and tricks? You talk about some of them in the book. You might just tell our, tell our audience about some of them. You know, you talk about que good questions and mm -hmm. uh, being flexible in the process. Can you give us give us some insight as to if you were to give give somebody the one hundred and one? <laughs> the uh, well, that's what the book was intended to be. It's to help as many people as possible, right? That that's the key because there's a lot of companies that can't afford a sourcing group dedicated to IT mm -hmm. or specifically software. Yeah, the best sourcing people I've said for years, ask the best questions, right? Well, guess what? That's all the sales training says the same thing. Ask the best questions. You need to understand what success looks like from your customer's point of view, your internal customer. What does it re what do they really need out of this? And then when you're talking with the, the supplier, ask great questions and shut up. I mean, salesmen love to talk. Now they're trained to ask good questions and listen, but when you start turning the table on them, they can't be quiet. Yeah, They can't. And they will start telling you things. And as long as you can stay quiet, you will get some of the things that your business wants for success in that project. You'll get more than what you think you could get because they will tell you why is this project important to them? Uh, and I will ask, I mean, I've been doing this far too long. I'll ask them, how are they compensated? When's their, you know, what's, how close are they to their, to their new uh, house or vacation home or what trip, you know, if they, what award will they win if they get, you know, certain things and stuff like that. I have no problem. All they can say is no. Yeah. Yeah. Very clever. Actually. It's good because you're getting, you're becoming, you're asking personal questions mm -hmm. um, and it disarms them. Yep. They tell you that if they open up the kimono there, it's very hard to close down. And suddenly now you've, you've shifted some of the power back to you. Mm -hmm. we're, we're being taught the same skills 
Brad, yeah. you know, like the sales teams and your teams, like, you know, in you know, I've been doing sales a long time. And one of the things that I learned very early, early on was shut the hell up. Stop, yep. stop like stop talking, yep. ask open questions and then stop talking. And then when the customer stopped talking, ask another open question until you get what you need. You know, right. that was my base training, you know, yep. so neither party talks then. It's like, it's like a finished negotiation. Well, no, that's the thing. So so silence to some people, some people can't bear silence, right? So, so, so I'd say Brad and myself have both now been trained in, don't worry about silence because, you know, by the time it gets to the two minutes, it feels like a really long time. And right. one of you is going to crack. Yeah. And I know it's probably going to be me. <laughs> but if you can get to two minutes... And the other guy cracks. You've just won that. You, you've just, you know, advanced forward on the chessboard, right? So, <laughs> yep, absolutely. And the, the the problem from the procurement side of the house is all of our training historically has been on processes, understanding your category, you know, doing market analysis and research and benchmarking. Super. You need to have that level of knowledge and understanding to a certain point. But if you can make it personal and you can find out what your opponent, if you will once out of the deal needs out of the deal and you know what success looks like internally i don't care if you understand the seven step sourcing process right yeah 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 that's, that's but, I th but i think that's on but you know i think that would you'd end up with a pretty fair outcome if both exactly said hey look what do you want here's what i want because i'm actually like you i go into customers and say well here's what i want you know, here's what here's my needs. And so you tell me yours and I'll tell you mine. And then we'll both get, you know, you'll probably get a good outcome for everybody. Everybody be happy. But if I'm just looking for what I want and I don't care what you want, then one of us is going to be bitter. Right. Yep. And so I think you can get a fair outcome by everybody getting yeah. most of their needs satisfied. That's how I approach sales. Right. So when we're, you know, doing the deal with you, Brad, you'll know what's coming. Right. But yeah. right. <laughs> But you know what, if you if you deal with somebody that's a true professional, and they understand that I have shut this negotiations down early and said, you know what you're doing? I know what I'm doing. What do you need out of the deal? Yeah. I'll tell you what I need. You tell me what you need. Yeah. And you can also decide whether it's walk away. Just forget about it. We can't do yep. anything. Yeah. And that's yep. good for everybody. Nobody wastes any more time. Yeah, no, it's good. Can I ask you a couple of questions? You talk about something that's dear to our heart, renewals. You know, we're in the IBM software maintenance business. So you talk about in your book, you state that renewal section of the contract is an area the supplier does not want you paying attention to. Uh, it's funny. We totally agree with you there, by the way. But it is your best opportunity for to manage your long-term costs, isn't it? Oh, so, I know it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah, key. It, 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 we even say an area, just to finish, like we talked earlier about Microsoft, 15% the renewal of their the first of March there, a 15% increase. You know, if someone asked a really good question a couple of years earlier, they might have found out that might that maybe the costs could be put up by up to 15% or more. So now whether anybody, anyone would have been able to deal with that, who knows, but at least if they'd asked a good question, how do you, what's your, what, what's your advice? So how, how do you get, how do you deal with that? Yeah, the, the, so I'm going to back up just a smidge. Cost savings is what ha what you know sales or um, procurement people are. That's their blood. That's their livelihood, right? And and I have fought that battle for years and years and years. Avoidance and what you're talking about is avoidance in our in our categories is the most important thing. You're protecting the long term value of those contracts and your company. 
when you care more about what that initial price is, like we talked about earlier, because they're going to do whatever they can to get in there and get sticky. They will give you a 95% discount or whatever the case may be to get in because they know if you don't pay attention to the contract, if you don't have somebody really good at understanding the T's and C's, that they'll increase your price 8%, 10%, 7%, whatever, year over year. They know that they'll be able to add new solutions because they're going to get to talk to these people more and more because their solutions embedded in there. They'll change the licensing model like we talked about, right? They will continue to increase revenue year over year for as long as they're in there. I guarantee it. And they all have quotas to get. I mean, they meet early in the year in their fiscal years to determine how much more revenue they're going to extract from that company that they're responsible for calling on. Yeah, it's it's brutal actually. It's quite brutal, it is. really, isn't it? I mean, it is. It is. I mean, the reason we set up the company originally was to focus and try and help people change that some of their mindset. And it is, like you say, the, the, when these contracts, the fact that they do so regularly change the terms and conditions, whether it's changes to the license agreements or it's changes to the support contract, it it is you know, and, and many cases nothing new. There's nothing, they haven't given you anything new. And in fact, increasingly, there's a zero new. And yet, yet they're still trying to extract more revenue. Yeah. And, and the thing that you have to watch out for, and it's, I don't see it as much as I used to, but I still see it once in a while, is if you make this up, have, you bought 100 licenses of XYZ company solution, then you go add 20 more to a different group or a different this or a different that, put it on the SOW addendum amendment. I don't care what you call it. I have seen them change master terms and conditions on an SOW, on an amendment, on an addendum, when you're just order doc, when you're just adding something new, they need to get something new that added to the master agreement, or they need to change the T's and C's of a master agreement. That's just sneaky. That's not, that's not good business. And, uh, but it, it used to happen a lot more, um, but it doesn't, but it does still happen. Yeah, well, we haven't seen it for a while, but they used to change the hot links. You used yep. to have these hot links back to something on a website that then suddenly disappeared, wasn't available there anymore, or was replaced by something else. And then there was no, but yeah. no, nobody was properly informed. There might have been a kind of small announcement up on a web page, but nothing was was proactively informed. And that's all they, they've been doing it for years. Um, yep. And again, I mean, they, that's that's the sort of behavior we we absolutely detest i'll be quite honest yeah. with you it's totally wrong. right yep totally agree and they are gaining knowledge from all your data all your information all your transactions transmissions and they should be getting more and more efficient as time goes on right i mean pretty much everybody understands lean six sigma methodologies right yeah they should be getting better and more efficient and they should be sharing those things with you instead of charging you more if they sell you and, and the profit margins on SaaS are ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's insane how much money they're making. But every year, they're increasing that margin because they get more efficient and you pay more. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's really no justification for some of these no. increases at all. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's it can be depressing sometimes, but how do you, if we were to wrap, we're going to have to wrap up the interview and it's been fantastic chatting to you. But if you were, how do you bring humor into it though? You have to bring some, you have to bring some 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 fun to the game because it because it can be tough, can't it? How do you oh. how do you how do you bring humor into the to the conversations yeah. and and do you do you use humor as a negotiating tactic? 
Sure. Well, yes. With, with the sarcasm, the slice of sarcasm <laughs> in, in a humorous way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I make fun of them and how much they travel and, you know, I make fun of them uh, uh, when they start changing their licenses and, and doing things like that and just ask them open-ended questions like, how am I supposed to deal with that? I make, you know, whatever your profit margin is in your business, nothing compared to theirs, yeah. you know, and, and it, you know, I tease them about buying their new boats or their new vacation homes and things like that. You have to. I mean, this is just way too one-sided and obscene. To, to not have some fun with it along the way. Yeah, yeah, no, we have to have fun. Well, hopefully we're getting a bit more help these days, even since we last met you in 2019 from legislators. And I think there's a lot more attention on them. I think the power is, is power shift, shifting in our in our favor, I hope, fingers crossed. And, and you mentioned at the beginning, by the way, you were salespeople were told not to talk to procurement people. We love procurement conferences, so bring them on. Can't wait to see you, hopefully, in in uh, in, in Boston in July. Just before we wrap wrap up, Brad, what's next for you? Have you got anything else coming down the traps? You, you, you're not going to be a one-time, like a one-term president, a one-time author. Are you going to give it a go again? I am. Um, I, I had so much fun writing that book, and, and the message has gotten out so quick. I'm, I'm thrilled with how well the book's doing. It's just created a lot of conversation and a lot of awareness, if you will. But I think there's a, a big void in the industry on, on some of those truly mm, staple negotiation books. They're all written from a sales perspective. I've, again, studied all of them. I've got about 300 pages of notes from them. Um, and I started taking a crack at writing a book to, to redefine it. You know, if you're not in negotiations of hostage situation, and I'm not a professor at a university that makes a, a big deal out of saving $10 on the student who saved 10 bucks on his bike, you know, that he can ride to class. This is going to be real world, real examples of negotiations. In, and it's not going to be just technology. It's going to be just pure negotiations um, to try and offset some of the things that we've read and learned through through the years. Yeah. I think it's going to be, it'll be great. Yeah, I think, I think it's it's about time someone wrote a book like that. So I'm looking forward to, to reading it. Make sure you let us know. Um, well, I'll, have, I'll have all my sales team people read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's going on Indeed, in indeed. Brad Beach, thank you very much. A software, the silent killer of your company's budget. Love the book. Keep it up. Hopefully I'll see you in July. Thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate it. Much success, guys. Well, Take yeah, care, thank Brad. You, see you. Thank you. Wow, that was a great chat. What, yeah, a, what, a, what a guy. He knows his stuff. We all can learn a few things from, from Brad. I'm going to look at those tips and tricks. <laughs> I said that my own little one pager. I bet you, you are. Know, I bet you are. Laminated. So, yeah, that's it for another another show. Yeah, that was good. That went by pretty quickly. Yeah, another show. And so, thank you for coming. No, it's a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we will keep it, keep inviting me. I'll and, always turn up. Ah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we get, we always need a second Irish guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's great. Listen, we'll, we'll be back in a month's time. We'll yeah. have another guest and we'll have other conversations and see where we're at. And uh, thank you for everybody for listening. And uh, see all you right. all soon. Over and out. Bye bye.